we are especially grateful for your presence. We invite you to come back at any an opportunity that you might have in the future. If you would be turning to Psalm 117, this is a reading that we just had. I told Jonah that he got the easiest reading of the year probably because he only had two verses and yet he read the whole chapter. So uh, he can say he read a whole chapter for the scripture reading uh, after today. But it is certainly a very short psalm. In fact, it is the shortest of all the psalms. Sometimes we might say short and sweet, and that we mean somebody is getting the point across. And you can think of many passages in the Scriptures that are short and sweet, that can express a great deal even without the use of many words. Jesus wept. Very powerful statement. Pray without ceasing. Not a very long statement, but yet its meaning can sometimes boggle the mind. They not only can be easily memorized for their brevity, but they have deep impact and impressions that those short statements can make. In Psalm 117, it might be a psalm that maybe you're unfamiliar with, but it's a psalm that is very important in a message that it is trying to convey. It's message is we need to be ready to worship and praise God. That's a very simple message, and yet it has a very powerful, very uh, important message to remember and to think about and to contemplate. But you think about some of the greatest speeches. If you are, maybe this is just a, a public speaker thing, I don't know, but I, I like to sometimes YouTube videos of public speakers and uh, presidents uh, are a fantastic uh, way to watch and usually try to mimic or uh, take something away in how they communicate because many of them arose to power because of their rhetoric and their ability to connect with people. Uh, whether we disagree or whether we agree with their politics or not is immaterial, but they are, have a way of connecting with people. I'm from Arkansas, and so you can imagine the fame that uh, certain people have towards Bill Clinton. And uh, I remember whenever Barack Obama was president, he said that Bill Clinton was his secretary of explaining stuff. <laughs> because Bill Clinton could ramble on for 45, 50 minutes about nothing, almost. And yet you could connect with him, you could listen to him, he was enjoyable to listen to in some way. On uh, a day that it was many years ago, there was a man named Edward Everett. He had a two-hour-long speech. His speech went 13,607 words. But his speech wasn't the most memorable that was given that day. If you'll remember that that man, he, Edward Everett gave that speech. He was the keynote speaker at Gettysburg. But there was someone who gave a much more memorable speech. The President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. His speech, in contrast, was only 271 words. and only lasted about three minutes. 
But Lincoln's was the memorable one. Something to be said about the shortness and the brevity of something. That sometimes many words can help us or, or make us forget the meaning of a passage. Psalm 117 is a short psalm, but it is not something that we need to neglect. It is only two verses, but it tells us why we need to worship God. And the first reason that the psalm suggests that we need to worship God is that worship unites people. That he says in verse 1, Praise the Lord all nations. Not just some nations, but all nations, all people. And you think about through the stream of time how easy it is for people to think, well, we know the way to worship God and we're the only ones that know how to worship God and that people need to worship the way that we worship and so that we have this secret, if you will, of understanding how we are to worship God. That was certainly the idea that the woman that spoke with Jesus, that was the impression that she had in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4 and in verse 20, when Jesus is talking with the Samaritan woman at the well, she says, uh, as in verse 19, she, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's talking about this big debate between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people and how they were... Uh, divided on this idea of worship. Where do we worship? Where is the right place to worship God? What is the right place? Where is that? How do we worship? All of those things. What books do we recognize as authoritative, as instructive for us that we can read from in our worship? And you might get all sorts of divided answers and people that just do not agree with this. And yet, whenever we have that, whenever we come with, to worship with that approach or that mindset, we miss it altogether. That's why Jesus goes on to tell her, in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. That must have been a very outstanding statement for Jesus to have made as a Jew to this woman. That must have astonished her. And he says in verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, Jesus doesn't dismiss this idea that there is a right way to worship God. He says that we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. But He has an invitation here. He's setting out an invitation that worship is for anybody who wants to come worship the Lord. Anyone who is open and willing to come and worship Worship is an activity that is not limited to just a few. Worship is an activity that is an invitation for all who want to, all who desire to participate in. And when we worship, 
It is a way in which brings us together. It puts away the endless debates between the Jews and the Samaritans about the location of where to worship. That is immaterial now, Jesus says. But the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15, he quotes from Psalm 117 and verse 1 in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 15, in Romans the 15th chapter, the Apostle Paul, he's been talking about the Jew and the Gentile issues uh, surrounding what Gentiles must do to be obedient to the gospel and that the gospel is uh, available to them and how Christ died for all people. He's been making this, these arguments throughout the book of Romans. He's been talking about the nature of the gospel and that anyone who has faith and who believes that they can be saved and justified by their faith. And he's been trying to make this point throughout in chapters 14 and 15. Paul's been talking about the weak and the strong and some of the cultural divisions that might take place. But then he says towards the end of this argument in Romans chapter 15, and in verse 8, he says, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy as it is written. And he quotes from Psalm 117 and verse 1, Therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. That he's trying to get us to see that because of the nature of Christ's work and the nature of the Gospel, that it brings all people together for an activity to worship the Lord. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Now we have the opportunity for all of us to come worship the Lord. No matter our background, no matter our thoughts and our opinions, no matter our social status and economic status, no matter what we are that we have a way of dividing people in this world. That is immaterial. Whenever we come to worship God, we have been brought together in one body, in one church, to worship God. Worship has a way of connecting people and uniting people in a very impactful way that can encourage us and help us. And worship is an opportunity that it encourages us to, whenever we see each other, we are able to feed off of that. We leave here stronger and better than when we came. And worship is a time that we have to praise God, but it's a time that we also have to look at each other and help each other and be strengthened in our bond together. Worship is sometimes thought of as something that only a few people participate in. That only the few who lead us, the people who are up here standing behind a microphone, that they are the ones who are worshiping. And that is far from true. Those might be the ones who lead us in worship, but we are all worshiping together. That worship is an event and an activity that we are participating in, all of us, at the same time. 
And so whenever we are all doing the same thing, that is an expression of unity and fellowship that we have. And that is a reason that we need to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All nations is what Paul says and what the psalmist says. And so we need to recognize the importance of what worship is able to accomplish in uniting people to come together. Secondly, we want to see that worship is a response. Worship is a response to God and what God has done, what God has initiated, what God has promised and fulfilled. In other words, worship is a response to God's faithfulness. In Psalm 117 and in verse 2, it says, and some of your translations might read a little bit differently. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And it says, For His loving kindness is great toward us. Some of your translations might say steadfast love or merciful kindness. It is the fact what the psalmist is trying to get us to see is that we worship because of God. That we worship because of who God is. And the Hebrew term hesed there, it means something like loyal love. That is how it would probably be described. Loving kindness it's translated or steadfast love, merciful kindness. That you had this idea of God's loyalty, that God expresses His love for us and that He does what He says He will do. That God is loyal, He's faithful, that He is certain to do what He says. And so, whenever you think about this idea of God's loyal love, His unfailing kindness, you're talking about God's devotion. And that this is the perfect description of God that is traced throughout the Scriptures. All the way back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 15, in the song of Miriam by the sea, after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 15, and in verse 13, in this song of praise, Notice, and Miriam is singing this song, a song of, uh, that the Israelites were singing. It says in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 13, In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. That this is the idea that God has been faithful, He has led, and He is a strong leader. That salvation and redemption are the products of what God has said and what God has promised. God's faithfulness, loving kindness. And that's why we sing. And one of the reasons that we sing, many of the songs that we sing here and, and have this idea, this connection to the idea that we have been saved, that God has saved us. God has saved us because of who He is, because of His character. Because of His faithfulness. And so when we worship God, we are approaching the God of faithfulness, the God of our salvation. Later on in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 34, in Exodus chapter 34, and in verse 6, notice how the Lord is described here. That as the Lord passes in front of Moses, in Exodus 34 and in verse 6, 
Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. He keeps this loving kindness. He extends it to others for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. What we see is that God is a God who is consistent. He is a God who is faithful. God is a God who loves and is truthful, is compassionate and gracious. And that's why we worship. We are recognizing God for His place, for what He has accomplished in our lives, for saving us from our sins. We come to worship the Lord because of what He has done. We don't come here to gratify our own self. We don't come here to do what we want to do. We don't come here to satisfy the the thoughts that we are inclined to do. But we come here to worship the God of heaven who has saved us and who has given His only Son for us on the cross. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 5, in the fifth Psalm, and in verse 7, David writes, But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness... I will enter your house. At your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. Notice that what David is trying to get us to see is that the reason that he's motivated to come worship God is because of God. Because of what God has done for him. Why did you want to get up this morning and go through the hassle of getting your kids ready to come worship the Lord? Why do you want to set aside a few hours this Lord's Day? A couple in the morning, one this evening. Why do we set aside that kind of time? Why do we make that kind of time commitment to come worship God? Why do you make those kinds of sacrifices? It can be hard. It can be challenging. Can it? Because we understand what the God of heaven has done for us. We understand what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. And we are appreciative of that. And he tells us there in verse 7 that David says, at your holy temple, I will bow in reverence for you. That we come here not to gratify ourselves and our flesh, but we come here in reverence for God. And we have come here to honor the Lord. And that when we come, we honor Him. We give place to Him. We recognize Him as first in our life. We are recognizing the Lord who has done everything for us. Giving us life and existence, the God that we pray to, 
for assisting us and blessing us with our food, our clothing, our shelter, all the things that we have, the health that we have. We recognize God as the giver of every perfect and good gift. We recognize God's faithfulness. And so it is without doubt that we ought to be here to worship God. because of His greatness, because of His generosity, and because of His love for us. Worship shouldn't be treated as a chore. It is a blessing because of God. And when we understand what Psalm 117 is teaching us, we can see that and appreciate that. And then thirdly, finally this morning, we see that worship is the proper response to God and His character, but we also recognize His truth. That worship has a way of connecting us with God's Word. Notice in Psalm 117, in the second verse, His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. It's amazing that that statement is found here, isn't it? That the truth of the Lord is everlasting. What is, what is the connection with praise the Lord here? Why, why is this psalm about worship and then it makes this connection with the truth of the Lord? His truth is everlasting. But what he's wanting us to see is that worshiping God is intimately connected with His Word and with His truth. In the longest chapter, I discussed this a little bit in Bible class some this morning, but in Psalm 119, the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible, in Psalm 119 and in verse 7, notice what David says here, he says, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. He then asks in verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Notice what David is is showing us that there is this intimate connection between God and what God has said. Between God's Word. Between what He has said, there is a connectedness there. He says in verse 10, with all my heart I have sought you. And then what does He say? Do not let me wonder from your commandments. That you can't really parse the two. You can't really separate them out. That God is connected with God's commandments, with God's Word, with God's truth. And when we come here, we recognize that, don't we? We recognize the importance of allowing God's Word to mold us and shape us. We understand the importance of being instructed in the Word of God. In Psalm 25 and in verse 5, notice what here David says in Psalm 25 and in the 5th verse. In Psalm 25 and verse 5, David says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. 
that God's words, God's commands, God's laws, they are intended for us to come to know God better. And when we know God better, then we're going to want to worship God. And we're going to want to worship God more often. We're going to want to worship God better. And God's Word should teach us and mold us, and that's what His truth will do for us. And so it is by no accident that when we come together to worship the Lord, what do we spend a great amount of time doing? We spend time studying the Word of God, don't we? We have Bible classes for instruction. That helps us to come to understand things about God, what God has done for us, and how God has had a plan throughout time. Whenever we come together for worship, we study God's Word. We're led in sermons or in invitations that help us think about the eternal and spiritual things. And so it is by no accident that when we come together, we spend time in the Word of God. That's not a flaw in the design. That's very intentional. It goes back to the purpose of coming together. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 13, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, when we come together, we are here to be instructed. We come to learn something. Reading and studying the inspired text of Scripture is how we know God's will for our life. And it's a very important reason for why we come together. You know, in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 7, a passage where we oftentimes will turn to show the partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, I think sometimes we look over something in that text. It says in verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message till midnight. Buckle up, we're not there yet. We've got a long time, don't we? You know, he, there was instruction there. There was a period to connect to God's Word. Yes, this was the first day of the week assembly. Yes, they partook of the Lord's Supper. But what were they doing also as well? They were there to listen and be built up and to learn about God and about His Word. You think about how God's truth is described in Scripture. In the book of James, in James chapter 1, in James chapter 1 and in verse 18, the Word of God or His will says, in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. That God's truth has saving power. Our worship is to be done in truth, in spirit and in truth. 
God's worship has a way to connect us where we live out the truth of God's Word and where we do things in a proper way in truth. And God Himself is truth. Turn with me to Psalm 31. In Psalm 31, and in verse 5, This is quoted by Jesus when He was on the cross. It says, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. God in His essence, in His character, is truthful. That's why Titus is able to say that it is impossible for God to lie. Because God, there is no lie within God. God is a God of truth. He speaks the truth. And so when we worship the Lord, when we worship in spirit and in truth, when we study the Word of God, we are connecting with God's Word because that helps us connect to God. And so, without God's Word, we would be lost. So what Psalm 117, I believe, is able to teach us, some very important principles. He says in Psalm 117, in verse 1, Praise the Lord, all nations, laud Him, all peoples, for His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. We worship God because of who He is, because of what He has done, and because of what He says. Let me say that again. We worship God because of who He is, because what He does, and because what He says. And His faithfulness and His truth bring salvation to all people. Therefore, what is our response? Praise the Lord. That's the most appropriate response that we could ever come up with. That all people who desire the Lord and who will seek for Him, they can become united with Him into the single family of God. They can be saved from their sins through the gift of Jesus, God's Son. God has done a great deal for us. We need to worship Him we need to be zealous in our worship for Him and we need to seek Him with all diligence in all of our hearts. This morning, if you have begun your journey in seeking for the Lord, but you've not completed that journey, if you have not named the name of Christ and confessed Him publicly before many witnesses, 
If you have never come to the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away, and if you have never come acknowledging and doing those things, and the Lord has not added you to the church. And we invite you. The Lord invites you, implores you to come to Him. Acknowledging Jesus as your Savior who died for you, who went to the cross and shed His blood. Come to Him this morning. Come into contact with that blood that Jesus shed. He died for you so that you could have your sins forgiven and you could become a child of God. Maybe you have made that commitment to following the Lord and to worshiping Him, but you have strayed and wandered away. We want you to come back to the Lord. We encourage you to come back before it's eternally too late. If you've gone off into sin, we want you to come back. We're here to encourage you, not to judge you. We're here to help you and be a strength for you. And we're here to pray for you and encourage you in whatever way we can. If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?